Welcome everyone, my name is Shannon Brown, I'm a senior analyst at Standards Australia and your host of the Sets of Standard podcast, a podcast where we speak to industry experts about current and emerging industries and technologies to better understand the role of standards in benefiting the Australian community. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Alan Finkel, who is the former Chief Scientist of Australia from 2016 to 2020, where he led the National Hydrogen Strategy and the panel that advises the Australian Government on Low Emissions Technologies Roadmap. He's currently Special Advisor to the Australian Government on Low Emissions Technology and Chair of Australia's Low Emissions Technology Investment Advisory Council. In July 2022, Dr. Alan Finkel will chair an international panel of experts in Sydney at the Indo-Pacific Clean Energy Supply Chain Forum. I'm also joined by Alan Singemore, who's a General Manager for Engagement and Communications at Standards Australia. I'm also joined by Amelia Addo-Apier, who's Strategic Initiatives Manager at Standards Australia. Amelia leads the work in hydrogen at Standards Australia, and she advocates for standards development in hydrogen and Standards Australia's engagement in the industry. Amelia oversees the collaborative work with government and industry, specifically showcasing how we apply the standards we develop and build the tools and resources to engage standards and industry. Together we discuss hydrogen and its end-use applications, Australia's hydrogen landscape, the role standards can play in the safe and effective upscale of Australia's hydrogen industry, and how standards can support Australia's ambition to not only become a global hydrogen player, but also a top three exporter of hydrogen to Asian markets by 2030. So thank you all for joining me here today. For those who aren't familiar with hydrogen, can you just give us, Dr. Frankel, an overview of what it is and the applications? Shannon, thanks. Perhaps I should say why we care and then explain what it is. The reason we care is the goal is to reduce emissions ultimately to net zero. Roughly three quarters of global emissions come from the use of coal, oil and natural gas for energy. And we have to replace that completely. Humanity's never done anything like this. I, I regard this as the toughest transition that humanity is going to undergo. Now, to get your question of yeah. what is hydrogen, <laughs> hydrogen is the lightest element. It is the most abundant element in the universe, but it's a fuel. You can burn hydrogen. If you burn hydrogen oxygen, you get water vapor. The best thing about it is you do not get carbon dioxide. So by taking electrical energy and converting it to hydrogen, we've now created an energy carrier. And you can use that as a transport fuel for big ships, uh, aeroplanes, trains, and big trucks. You can convert hydrogen into other forms, and you could use that to replace coal in existing coal-fired generators. So there are a lot of uses. It's likely to be very important in our future decarbonized society. And I guess that's kind of in terms of with hydrogen becoming such a hot topic since you, you put in the proposal to the Council of Australian Governments uh, for a need for a national hydrogen strategy. And I know you've kind of touched on why it is important, but what are probably one of the two key priorities to ensure that we reach our full potential in Australia in the context of hydrogen? What's really important is that around the world, countries and companies develop the technologies to utilize that hydrogen. We know that hydrogen will be used for big trucks that go long distances, but the trucks, with few exceptions, haven't been built yet. They're coming onto the market, but then it takes a long time for the old fleet to be replaced with the new fleet. Similarly, with the big merchant ships, there are 90,000 big ships plowing the oceans of the world. And at the moment, they use probably the worst fuel you can imagine, bunker fuel. It's the dregs that remain when crude oil is refined into petrol and other things. And that has to be replaced. 
and hydrogen and its derivatives, ammonia, will do that replacement. And those ships are only just starting to be built. So the question is, can we accelerate the rate at which these new technologies come along to replace? And with government action in many, many countries, mm-hmm. yes, we can accelerate those things. Um, other actions such as what Japan is intending to do, which is to replace coal in their existing coal-fired power stations with imported clean ammonia, that they can do fairly quickly. On the supply side, it's a question of scale and cost. We have to scale up in order to drive down the price of the hydrogen that we produce. And then the follow-on challenge is to get control over the price for shipping the hydrogen. There's a lot of thoughts around how we actually use that domestically. Can we use it in the homes, in gas appliances? And I know that some of the work that we're doing is looking at using hydrogen in appliances and what we would need to do to get our appliances ready for that. But then, you know, on the flip side of the argument, there's also this whole electrification and we're going to electrify all of our homes. So what are your thoughts on that debate and our use domestically? It's very, very easy to blend up to 10%, even 15% hydrogen into the existing gas distribution network. And that gives you a small reduction in emissions, but not enough to sort of solve a problem. To go from 10% to 100% is actually very difficult because you have to go into every house that is going to get that pure hydrogen and tweak the appliances and check the pipes Mm -hmm. and make sure that it's all ready to go. Now, we've done that sort of stuff. I think it was the late 1970s across Australia. We converted from what was called town gas. It was stinky. (laughs) It was expensive, really deadly. The shift to natural gas changed the situation dramatically, but they had to go into every single house to adjust the appliances. And it was just done like an army maneuver, but basically teams of technicians went from one residential zone to another residential zone. So we've done that kind of thing, but there's a bit more to be done with hydrogen than the town gas to natural gas conversion. Electricity can also be used to decarbonize houses by using electric heat pumps instead of gas heaters and electric induction stoves instead of gas stoves, but people like their gas stoves. And the distribution systems, they're already set up for gas. So we don't know what's going to happen. The manufacturers are making some progress. On Friday of this week coming up, I'm going to be going out to the launch by a a Japanese company of their range of hydrogen appliances, gas heaters, boilers, stovetops, and other things. And that's the first time that I will get to see commercial-ready hydrogen appliances. There is progress, but I guess you have to kind of talk about the the more contentious topics around hydrogen, which would be the water consumption associated with the production of hydrogen and then alongside how it's produced, you know, with renewables and non-renewables. What are your thoughts on that and kind of what do Australians need to know? Making hydrogen does require a lot of water. The developers and the regulators Mm -hmm. have to be very careful to make sure that production of hydrogen never takes away from existing uses. That would cause enormous community backlash and it wouldn't be right in any event. So you can't use up water that was required for agriculture. You certainly can't use up water that's otherwise required for drinking water in towns or cities. Uh, There is opportunity to use good fresh water that no one else needs at a particular location. There's opportunity to use wastewater that's been cleaned that otherwise no one's prepared to drink, but it's always a challenge. But there's a fallback which is cost-effective, and that's called desalination. Desalinating the water that you need 
to produce hydrogen, a kilogram of hydrogen would only cost a couple of cents. We've got a perfectly reasonable fallback if the water that is required isn't there. How can standards support when there is that lack of harmonisation nationally for, for the industry? Well, standards, of course, especially if they come from Standards Australia, work across the country, don't they? They're they're not state-based. And that's important. You can't afford to have different safety standards and operational Mm. standards. My opinion is that the standards that are required for metering hydrogen, for safe use of hydrogen, for handling hydrogen uh, do need to be national. Uh, We can have our own standards that are different to international standards. There's an inefficiency in doing that. And I know that Standards Australia tends to try to harmonise Australian standards with European and American standards and others where appropriate. And that makes it easier for industry and more cost effective for industry if the standards are harmonised. But at the very least, Australia across the states has to be harmonised. Yeah. Adam, in terms of what Dr. Finkel just said, in your view, how can standards support that kind of the safe and effective scale up of both hydrogen technology and its end use applications? Making sure that we set national priorities is mm-hmm. the first step across all the different regulators and the different policymakers with an interest in hydrogen technology and agreeing on what it is that we're going to practically do. If we have different safety standards in different jurisdictions, how are we going to transport across a single nation? We're not going to be able to do that. So the work that Amelia and the work that our committee is doing at the moment is very much focused around having simple and single solutions adopted to Alan's point as much as we can from from international partners so that we can have a solution in Australia number one. And when it comes time to start to export, when it comes time to trade, when it comes time to trade in the machinery, we don't have unique Australian products. We have international products. And, And that's the work that's going on at the moment to try and get ahead of these problems, is it easy? No. But it's really important work that Amelia and the team are, are, are getting cracking on. Yeah. And I guess, maybe do you mind then, just for our audience, just talking about that work that, that you guys are doing with the Hydrogen Technology Committee? Yeah, absolutely. So the way that it's set up at the moment is that the work that we're doing largely falls into five different working groups. So we have a working group on production, storage and handling. We've got a working group on pipeline distribution and networks. We've got gas or end use appliances, I should say. We've got fuel cell technology and we've also got mobility applications. And so looking at the various standards that really sit right across the value chain has been quite critical in ensuring one, that we actually can do the work because there's so much work that needs to be done. And two, to ensure that we've got the right people working on the various areas because the topics are so varied as well. Since we had our forum back in 2018 and we kicked off the committee in 2019, we've adopted about 14 different standards. Those have been largely from the international arena, from ISO, and we're actively contributing to the development of ISO standards so that we can adopt those here in Australia and and they're ready for adoption here. So that's a key part of the work that we're doing. We are also contributing heavily on the development of a standard on the transfer arms of liquid hydrogen. That's really important when we think about, you know, exporting. We're also looking at gas appliances and our pipelines. 
So there's lots of different angles that we're taking when we're thinking about the standards that are required to support the industry. And so those are just, I guess, uh, just a little bit of the work that we're doing uh, from a the lot. committee standpoint, <laughs> not to mention the, the strategic initiatives yes. and the work that we're doing around actually the interpretation of yep. standards and, and making it real for our industry and for government to be like, you know, these are the standards that we're developing, but this is how you actually use them in practice. Australia has that ambition to become a, a global uh, leader by by 2030. And I think that it was the case of wanting to be one of the top three exporters, especially the Asian markets. How then do standards facilitate that international trade? So the OECD in a recent report found that 95% of exports connect to international standards. In Australia, we have an incredible opportunity to lead work in the development of some of these international standards. We have incredible expertise here in Australia and our job at Standards Australia is to harness that expertise, not to sit in rooms for week on week and month on month and talk about things, but to get things done. Mm. And we're starting to see come out of our strategic initiatives team really tangible and useful things that are driving us forward. So what's an example, and I'm probably stealing this from Amelia, but <laughs> um, hydrogen refueling stations, there's a whole bunch of people in Australia at the moment talking about hydrogen refueling stations and the yep. need for standards. 95% of those people have probably never read a standard in their life nor would we expect them to. It's not their area of endeavour and it's not their area of expertise. So working with partners at CSIRO, we are bringing to life a hydrogen refueling station in two dimensions and we're pointing to all the standards, the international standards that we will need to use. Now, why are we doing that? So that people have a common language, number one, but in really practical terms, so that when people are putting together procurement contracts, they know which standards they need to reference so that they can talk to their partners. I'd like to add to that a unique standard requirement for hydrogen that wouldn't apply to other things. And it's something that Standards Australia is, I'm sure, working with the clean energy regulator on. When a customer buys hydrogen, they don't know whether that hydrogen was made through a clean process that was emissions free or with an old fashioned process where the production of the hydrogen, instead of it being from water, was from a fossil fuel, was associated with huge amounts of carbon dioxide emissions or somewhere in between. Australia has been working with the international partnerships for hydrogen in the economy and the ISO and Standards Australia to develop a certification scheme, which we call the Guarantee of Origin Scheme. And that is a, an emissions intensity scheme that produces a number. The purchaser of hydrogen will know whether there was one kilogram or five kilograms of carbon dioxide emitted during the production. And that's incredibly important because if it's eight kilograms or more, you should have just burnt natural gas. Yes. If it's less than one or two kilograms of carbon dioxide per kilogram of hydrogen produced, it's pretty good. And it's a great example of where standards and how standards matter because, yes, being able to calculate and say that, you know, this is how much emissions is associated with hydrogen is something that's often set by a standard. And mm -hmm. so this is, I guess, a clear example of where standards are important and also where international collaboration is important as well to make sure that what we're producing and the standards that we're setting is also being agreed on by our trading partners and the potential demand markets. And I guess then one final question for you, Dr. Finkel. 
taking all that in consideration with standards and the role of standards and how it can support and upscale the hydrogen industry. Australia does have that strong ambition to be a global key player by 2030 within the hydrogen industry. Do you think that's possible or is there anything that could potentially hold us back from that? Realizing that potential? It's definitely possible. And I expect that we will be a, one of the world's largest, if not the largest exporter of hydrogen, but it will be very competitive. So we have to get everything right. I come from the camp. I used to run a manufacturing company for 23 years. And I learned during that time that standards are a company's best friend. You, know, you go into it, you think standards, who wants to deal with standards? But standards actually make it easier for you to compete in the market then if there was no standards, you'd be faced with all sorts of liabilities and risks, but you'd also be confused. Standards have to protect the public, but facilitate commerce. I know Standards Australia understands that. So if we can run this standards agenda that you're running at the moment, Amelia, on hydrogen, work collaboratively with the Clean Energy Regulator to get the Guarantee of Origin Scheme up and running, that gives our producers a competitive advantage because our customers will know the quality of the production process through which our hydrogen was made. Absolutely. Pre-competitive cooperation in Australia has mm-hmm. never been stronger than it, than it is in hydrogen. I, in, yes. in my 15 years in the standards game, where we've got industry, we've got the federal government, we've got the Queensland government, we've got everyone working together, rowing in the same line with international partners. And I think if anything is going to set us up for success here, it's that pre-competitive cooperation that will see us not only developing the right standards, but working with the right partners. Well, it's great. I mean, look, it was great to, to have you all here today and get that kind of that holistic understanding of the importance, the challenges, the opportunities and, and the role of standards. So thank you all very much. 